Gus out of town. He went to Colorado, right? It's going to be hot all week. So he, did he invite any of y'all? Didn't invite me either, right? Matter of fact, he didn't tell me I was teaching until Friday. We got our wires crossed. I was like, huh? <laughs> so uh, I just made up something. It's not really in the Bible. So we're just, I'm just kind of kidding with you here. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> just kidding. Hey, uh, hey let's, do I look different today? Because I should. We took our last son to OSU. We are empty nesters in my house. How about that, right? I love that. We, lo- we love our children. It was time for them to go, okay? They, they can come back, but I have established a rule. Three days is a visit, four days is rent, okay? You can come back. We love you, but that's my theory. Three days of visit, four days is rent, okay? Because I love being in my house, right? We got a two-car garage, and we're not putting any more cars in it anymore. So anyway, hey, this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look in uh, Hosea, the book of Hosea. And I'll tell you, I've not spent a lot of time in this book. Uh, but I'm going to move. Let me find my little clicker here. This is not really a clicker. It doesn't click at all. But uh, let me, uh, we're going to move to Hosea chapter 6 this morning, and um, I'm going to have a lot of fun. I, I found a verse that, that, has, that means a lot to me. I'll explain in just a second, but I want to read it to you first. This is Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, okay? Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, but He will heal us. He has wounded us, but He will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before Him. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. I came upon this verse about a year ago. Don Pestless and I were working on some worship planning for the chapel service. And... I had the idea of describing or showing the Holy Spirit in the form of a summer rain shower, right? Which I thought was kind of a cool idea. And we ended up not doing that. But I found this verse, the, verse, the end of verse 3 at that point in time where it says, um, He will come to us like the winter rains, is, is one version. He will come to us like the rains, like the spring rains watering the earth. And at, ever since then, that little verse, I have thought about this a long time. It, I don't know, it's just one of those little verses that, you know, you read a verse sometime and it, and it just won't go away, right? It just, there's something about it. So I wanted to kind of expand on it. Matter of fact, about a month ago, I was called on uh, to tell my life story in the Life Care uh, series on Monday nights in the leadership meeting. All of us are kind of doing that, and it was my turn to stand up. And so I immediately went back to this verse uh, to use it to... Uh, I used it to kind of illustrate my whole life because I think the last part of that verse really identifies with my life story. And so if you were in that class, I'm sorry, you're going to hear a little bit of this again, but what I'm going to do this morning is I wanted to really dig into this passage a little bit more because I've been thinking so much about it. And uh, so uh, yesterday I was able to do that. And uh, I'm going to use a tiny, the difference is, is the last time I, I, I used this verse, I used uh, the verse to illustrate my whole life. Don't worry, I won't bore you that much, okay? But what I'm going to do this morning is use a tiny bit of my life, just a little bit of it, to illustrate this verse in the end, and we'll come to that. So uh, in order to do that, though, I need to do something that my wife is not going to like, all right? I need to introduce you to my family so you can kind of know, because if I'm going to tell you even a tiny bit of my story, you need to know who the characters of the story are. It won't take a lot of time, but I want to share this with you, okay? So first of all, there I am, okay? 
And, and if you look at this picture, I'm on a motorcycle trip. My buddy and I rode down to Old Mexico on our motorcycles. And uh, if you look carefully in the sunglasses, you'll see that the road is going by. I'm doing about seven. I got bored, okay? So I started taking selfies of myself going down the highway on my motorcycle. Not the wisest thing I've ever done. I just need you to know that's the kind of guy I am, right? And so I was having fun. My buddy was in front of me. We're traveling. We're somewhere down south of Austin at this point in time. It was about 105,000 degrees at that point in time. It was a hot trip. So anyway, so what I wanted, I wanted to do is I want to introduce you to my family. And what I did is I took my favorite picture with them. To, uh, so you'll see me with them in each picture. I'm not that vain. I just wanted you to see my favorite picture. And this is my wife and I. This is the day we got married. We got married on the beach, in the water, sticking our feet in the water. Let me tell you, if you're getting married, I highly recommend this. Big church wedding? No. Nah. Go get, we had, uh, we go out there, we had the minister, our, uh, the photographer, and the two of us, and we literally got married with our feet in the water. Best day of my life, baby. We had a great time. And, uh, and uh, you know, off to the side, you can't see it, but there's like 30 kids that were hanging out on the, on the rocks, and they had guitars and stuff. And they started hooting and hollering when we were getting married. And we went over and actually a whole bunch of wedding pictures taken with them. We didn't even know them. It was a great environment. So that's, that's my wife, okay? This is my oldest daughter, Megan. She just got married uh, two months ago in May, and that's literally, you can see the big smile on her face, because that's quite literally about maybe five minutes after she'd gotten married to the love of her life, uh, Caleb, and they've started their life, and uh, she, uh, she's, uh, she's quite a character. She, uh, we're proud of her. She, was, uh, she went to Oklahoma Christian, just graduated from Oklahoma Christian, and uh, has now gotten married, started a job in the medical industry, and it just didn't fit her. Um, I'm in the medical business, share that in a little bit, but... Uh, uh, but she just took a job full-time here at Crossings, working in the life care ministry, so I'm happy for her. So that's Megan. This is Morgan, our oldest daughter. You've seen her here. She's going to be English teacher. She's, she, I think they're going to uh, rename uh, Northeastern University Morgan University. She's pretty much taken over that school out there. She's on their NAB board and all the other stuff. She's having a good time out there. She'll, she's, she's a junior this year, and she'll finish up, and uh, she's got a pretty serious boyfriend. I'm not ready to talk about her getting married yet. Don't even go there, okay? So I'm not ready for that one. All right, and then my our, our last child. This is uh, Travis. He's the one who just graduated. This is his high school grad. You can see me in the background. Yeah, he made it. It's great stuff. All right. <laughs> so uh, that that's Travis, and he just he's at OSU right now, getting ready to start school. All right, and then the most important member of the family is Boston, our, our little our little Shih Tzu, uh, and he. Uh, he does, his ears don't stick up like that. That's at Hefner Lake. And if you've ever been to Hefner Lake, you know why his ears are sticking up like that, right? Because that's like the windiest place on the whole earth, all right? So I wanted you to kind of see them. And uh, because it is, they are truly part of my story that, that I tell. So I just wanted to share that with you. Because when I look at my family, when I gather them, when I, when I seriously, when I was looking at sharing my whole story, this verse describes the whole story that brought our family together truly does and he will come to you like the rains like the spring rains watering the earth so uh, we're going to look at how this beautiful little verse has has unfolded in my life but before we do that I need to kind of work on uh, the beginning part of this because it's different all right so let me go to that the very first verse one of Hosea chapter six says this Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our, our wounds. You know, I put this picture of this dog, because I mean, that's just kind of one of those verses. I, I bet if I polled people in this room, I'm not going to do that, but if I did, some people would be like, 
not so sure about that verse, right? I mean, it's just one of those kind of verses you look at and you're kind of, it kind of creates some confusion. You know, imagine a lot of us might be like, you know, Thomas Jefferson who cut out the parts of the Bible he didn't like, all right? Interesting idea, okay? Didn't, I don't know how effective that really was, but all right? And this might be one of those verses I'd want to cut out. He, because it just sounds weird, right? He has, in, he, he has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. Uh, he has injured us, but he will bind our wounds. And, and I see a lot of people that are confused by not only this verse, but more importantly, verses like this. It kind of creates confusion in my mind and everybody else's mind, if you think about it. And, and I get it. I'm right there with them. Because at first glance, when I read that, I get there's a confusion that kind of sets up in my mind. Um, and I've noticed that sometimes a little bit, of, when, when I'm studying with people who are really kind of seeking and and, and thinking about what they believe about God, kind of a distorted thinking pattern kind of develops. Um, and it goes a little bit like this. I see something in the Bible I don't understand. And when I read it, it doesn't fit my personal picture of God. And because it doesn't fit my picture of God, I start thinking, maybe my picture of God is wrong. And if my picture's wrong, and I'm then maybe I'm wrong about God. And that's when kind of doubt kind of starts to sit in, right? That These kind of scriptures can, can do that. Cloud and Townsend actually agree with this. Cloud and Townsend, the guys who wrote the book Boundaries and stuff like that, they also wrote the book How People Grow. I think I've mentioned that before in here. They make a comment in their book that's kind of the crux of my Monday night class. It's kind of the, the impetus in their book. It says, people cannot grow until they move from a human view of God to a biblical view of God. I think that's very true. I'll say that again. People cannot grow, and these are from two psychologists, right? Cannot grow until they move from a human view of God to a biblical view of God. You definitely have to think about verses like this, and it's kind of confusing. Because they're emotionally, sometimes they're a little hard to read. I mean, it, obviously, it's, it's easier to read, right? It's easier to read. Uh, he will come to us like the rains, like the spring rains, uh, uh, watering the earth. It's easier to read that in than it says, he has torn us to pieces, but will heal us. Okay, really? So, but actually, here's the point. And this is where I love to go. I, I actually enjoy speaking with people about these kinds of verses because actually, this verse is very consistent. And even though it might not seem that way, it's actually very consistent. I'll go a step further. In my mind, this is just me thinking, in my mind, this passage would not be appropriate if it was not in there. Maybe, maybe some of you know this, and maybe some of you don't. The book of Hosea is about a man and his relationship with his wife. Okay? It, it's a real story, but it's, it's used to make an illustration. The man in, in Hosea represents God. And the wife represents us, or in this context, or, or in the context of the passage, God's people, the Israelites, right? The man in Hosea is a very constant figure. Uh, the wife is an inconsistent figure who fails the relationship and tries again, and fails the relationship and tries again, and fails and tries and fails and tries. That's the story of Hosea, um, I mean, I mean, if you think about that, doesn't that sound a lot like the nation of Israel and, and the struggles they went through? And if I'm open with you, completely open with you, I have to say that sounds a lot like me in some respects, too. Not all the time. There's times I get it right, but there's times I get it wrong. So, uh, 
let me broaden the scope for just a second, all right? The more I read this book we call the Bible, the more I'm impressed with this one thought. And it, it, it just, I think God is really teaching me this. The more I read the Bible, the more I realize that it is not a set of rules that I grew up with, a set of rules that gets me into heaven. And some people see it that way, don't they? It's not a set of rules that's designed to get me into heaven. It's not so much a list of things God doesn't want me to do. And that's real easy to think when you, when you just start reading the Bible, right? It's not this list of things, or, or even as much a list of things God doesn't want me to do, or does want me to do. I'm trying to make that contrast, right? I, I, the more I read it, I'm beginning to learn that the whole Bible... From Genesis chapter 1 all the way to the last word of Revelations is about a relationship. It's a love story. It's a true love story. I mean, because when we use the word story, we automatically think it's fiction, right? This is a true love story from Genesis chapter 1. It's all about the relationship. And when I read it that way, it's different. It's about what God wants to do with me, not what he wants to do to me, right? Um. And what God wants to do with me is a much better story to learn and embrace. And so when I read the Bible now through the filter of the concept that this is about this great relationship that I can develop, the, the, the lists and the things, do's and don'ts, don't bother me near as much. I don't struggle with them as much is what I'm saying by that. If you, if you want to understand that, go to Genesis chapter 2. Not now, but go to Genesis chapter 2 and read that passage with the, with the filter in it of relationship. And, and I, think you'll, I think it'll open your eyes. There's stuff like how God planted a garden. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, there's, you know, there's two or three accounts of the, of, of the creation in, in Genesis 1 and 2 there, right? But the first one's about, and God said, that's the power of God, Elohim. But the Genesis chapter 2 is all about the relationship, how he created this environment for man to come in. And so that, that idea of relationship, and you'll see the, the You'll see God involved in the creation more than and God said in Genesis chapter 2. I don't think that made sense. In Genesis chapter 2, you'll see God's specific actions. I told you I made this up last night. Okay, come on. Cut me some slagger. Right. Who am I? All right, here we go. All right. Uh, where'd we go? And I'm all the way through my notes. and Here we go. The sixth chapter of Hosea, though, um, is about consistency in our relationship. That's what I'm reading when I see that. And here's the interesting part. Without verse 1, okay, that's on the board here, this passage would be inconsistent with the rest of the relationship story. And I want to talk about that word um, relationship, or I'm sorry, I want to talk about the word inconsistent for a minute. I've got an illustration from my job. This week is a really good week from, for me and my career. I'm, I'm really excited. Um, I was promoted to, the to become the national sales manager of my company, U.S. MedSci. And uh, I start that role literally morning. I'm driving to San Antonio to go see some of my reps, and i got to hire a whole bunch of them. You, that is, you, to see me in that position is absolutely a God thing in my life. I mean, it's an example of the first scripture, and he comes to us like the rain. You'll see that. To see how, I don't, I don't know how in the world I came to become the national sales manager of what's going to be a really cool medical company. I'm so very happy about this, all right? But in my business in, with U.S. MedSci, we, we do testing, and we use this word inconsistent. Uh, we do toxicology testing for chronic pain patients. And this is big business in the United States, if you don't know that, because 
Prescription drug abuse in the United States has been deemed an epidemic. Each day in the United States, over 100 people die from prescription drug abuse. Over 6,700 people uh, seek medical care in the United States each day because of merely prescription drug abuse. I'd venture to say that there are plenty of people in this room who have seen or heard or know have family members that have struggled with that. It is an epidemic. The government has deemed it an epidemic in our country. All right? um, when we run a sample on our patients, okay, when, on the patient samples rather, we're not merely looking to see whether the patient has certain drugs in their system. Okay, we're doing that, but that's not all we do. We look to see what drugs are in the system, how much of that drug is in the system, and overall, if the sample from the patient is consistent with what has been prescribed. Um, and if it doesn't all match up, then uh, if it doesn't follow that, then the sample is deemed inconsistent. That's the word that comes on the medical report that goes to the physician. And if he sees that word inconsistent, it means that the sample does not match, listen to this, it does not match the context of the drug prescriptions for that patient and uh, of what has been prescribed to him. So when the, when the physician reads the report and sees that word inconsistent, he knows that there is something wrong. I thought that was an interesting illustration to what we're looking at right here. The same thing applies to our verse. If verse 1 of Hosea was not included, the passage would be inconsistent with its context, and just like the physician, we would know that something's wrong. I think that's an interesting way to look at Bible study. Because um, if you go through the Old Testament, a very clear discussion unfolds as to what is going to happen to the relationship between Israel, I'm um, saying God, and the nation of Israel. I mean, you start out, it starts out in Genesis, right? When Genesis gets, or when uh, God gets with Abraham and, set, and, and establishes that covenant. He says, listen, if your people will obey my commands, it will go well with them for, for generations to come, right? And then it, you move on into Deuteronomy, and God is very, very clear throughout the book of De Deuteronomy. He says, if you obey my commands, it will go well with you. But if you don't, obey my commands, you will wish you'd never been born. That's the gist of it. I mean, you can read the whole thing. I'm kind of paraphrasing that a little bit, all right? But he says, if you obey my commands, it's going to go well with you. But if you don't, not so much, all right? Um, then in the book of jo and Joshua, after that, so we go Genesis, and I'm not, I mean, the next book I looked at was Deuteronomy, and then now we go to Joshua. In the book of Joshua, Joshua himself pulls all the nation of Israel together. And he said, hey, decide today. You remember that story? Decide today whom you're going to serve. Why do you think Joshua had to do that? Say it again. There's a lot of answers out there. I'll go with this one, all right? The one I wrote down. <laughs> it's the best one. Because <laughs> I didn't mess up my notes that way, all right? Just kidding. The reason Israel had a, had a problem deciding who they were going to follow, as crazy as that sounds, that's why he had to say, hey, choose this day. If you don't want to choose God, that's fine. Go choose and go serve whatever entity you're going to choose. Or, uh, go uh, follow whatever entity you're gonna, uh, you choose to follow. He says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Because Israel had a problem deciding who they were going to serve. But then the saga conti continues in the book of Judges. The entire book of Judges is nothing more about than the inconsistent behavior of Israel contrasted with the incredibly consistent behavior of God. Um, 
it, it kind of goes like this. Israel disobeys God. Then God does what he said he would do all along, all right? Then Israel's life becomes hopeless. Then Israel cries out to the Lord and he sends them a judge in the book of Judges to save them. Then Israel repents and they obey God for a while and life is good. Just like God promised, all right? Then Israel would ultimately disobey God and the cycle would start all over. It has to. That cycle has to start over because it wouldn't be consistent with the rest of this incredible love story if it didn't do that. Every book in the Bible prior to Hosea has a form of this saga included in it in some way, shape, or form. So to me, it's no real mystery that when we get to a book that is written with the strict purpose to describe the relationship between Israel and God, that 6-1, this verse right here, must be included. It wouldn't be consistent without it. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, um, but he will bandage us. And here's a really interesting point. I wrote, I wrote a note this morning about 6 o'clock, and I cannot read it. So I don't even have any idea what that says. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. That's what it says, right? But it's a really good note, okay, but it's... Uh, Oh, it's not about the inconsistency uh, or meanness of God. It's about the inconsistency of Israel. That's what we're seeing. This. It's that, and so when we read that, we kind of think about God, don't we? But the story, it's really about the inconsistency of Israel. Um, so here's the application for me on this. Just a short application. Then we're going to move to the next part of the verse. And we're going to be out of here early, I can tell you. That, that, you know, I'm, just, I'm being the anti-cliff today, right? So, <laughs> so the, he, you know he'd teach till noon if we let him. You know that, right? Okay. I love that about him. He's so fun. Here's the application for me. If I, ironically, if I merely read the Bible, the verses I read may seem inconsistent with what I believe about God. However, if I study, if I truly dig into the historical and grammatical features of the Bible, I learned just the opposite, and that's what I learned about this. I learned that the passage of the Bible, passages rather, of the Bible are incredibly consistent throughout the entire Word of God. So, what if the next time I read something that seems inconsistent in the Bible, what if I stop? What if I stop and I study that in context? I wonder what effect that would have on my doubts that each and every one of us have at some point in our life. I just wonder. I wonder if I read these in the context, would that translate to a better confidence that I have in my relationship with the Lord? That's what I'm kind of thinking about. All right. So I'm going to move past uh, verse three, uh, um, or, or two, verse three, rather. I'm, I'm going to skip over verse two. And here's the interesting thing about that. Okay. In the past, there were times when I would teach that I would move past a verse because I, I didn't know that I could get into it and study and, and, and learn from it. But what I'm learning from Cliff with this Bible app and Bible study that we're teaching, I'm not scared of any verse in the Bible. You know, e even, how many of you have studied the first book of Matthew? All right? Some of us are like, you're supposed to? <laughs> all right? Because it's, what is it? It's that somebody begat, begat, somebody begat, begat, you know, all that kind of thing, right? 
If you look at that in the context of it's written and understand who wrote it, that is one of the most interesting passages in the Bible. There's so much stuff in there. It's like a, it's like a buffet of cool stuff in there that you can look at. It. And that's kind of the stuff I'm looking at. So I don't, when I'm passing uh, verse 2, I'm not passing it. I thought I wasn't going to have enough time to do all this, but I'm learning that I'm getting through my notes a little quicker, but that's okay. All right, so um, let's, let's move over to, though, uh, Hosea chapter 6, verses 3. Let me flip back over here to our scripture. He says, And he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. Man, I love that passage. I don't know, it just does something to me when I read it. I like the phrase it starts off with. It says, And he will come to us. Isn't that God's mode of operation? Some of us have to think about that, but it really is. I mean, it kind of depends on how you see God. And I think, again, that's why I think understanding some of those verses, one, is important. But him coming to us, and he will come to us. That painting in the, in the, in the, in the Sistine Chapel, I think that's where it is, um, is, is correct, isn't it? You've got the, the hand of God are, are coming down like this. And if you've ever looked at that picture, I didn't notice this till just recently, the hand of God is a lot of strength in it. You can see the strength in the hand, and then the, the hand of of man coming up is is very weak looking. But that, this is the relationship that we're talking about in Hosea chapter six here. How he, he's, God comes down to us and that's, he just, that's what he wants to do, right? The, The key word in that first little phrase and he will come to us is will. He will come to us. And sometimes I have to remember that. He will come to us. He reaches down to us. And, and it's absolutely clear to me that when I read the whole Bible, because of the number of times that God comes back and he'll, comes after Israel and pursues them, at, granted, after they're crying out and have messed up and gotten themselves all this trouble, that's the thing I learned from all of those illustrations, is that he will come to us, no matter where we're at. Because I promise you, you look at the nation of Israel and what they did at times, there's some pretty bad stuff going on in that world, wasn't there? And he did. He will come back to us, all right? The next part that it says there is that he comes to us like the rains, like the spring rains watering the earth. And to me, verse 3 stands in contrast to verse 1, but they both speak of the consistency of God. Verse 1 is about the consistency. We've already talked about that. I'm not going to flip back to it. And verse 3 is also about the consistency God's coming to us is as consistent as the spring rains that water this earth. That, that, that gets in my soul because I can visually, this may sound weird, I can visually feel that. that that's, that's, that's when I read that, that's why I think it impresses on me so much. I know for certain, and you do too, that the spring rains are going to come, don't we? We know it absolutely. There's no mistake in that. We may, have, we, we may have years where there's a lot of rain in the spring, and there may be have someone like this last spring. We didn't have a lot of rain in this last spring, all right? But one thing we can count on for sure is that the spring rains are coming in our life. Um, so I can believe in God's coming to us just like I can believe in those rains. So let's go back to the concept of consistent versus inconsistent for a second. For the Bible to be consistent, these are my thoughts here. For the Bible to be consistent, verse 3 here is as important as verse 1, the confusing scripture. You can't have one without the other. 
It creates an inconsistency without the rest of the Bible. So if we believe that the Bible is consistent in verse 1 about his punishment, then we must believe the Bible is only consistent with his presence. Say that again. If we believe the Bible is consistent about the punishment that comes from God, then we have to believe and must believe that the Bible is only consistent when God's presence shows. And that's why this verse is so important to me. I know, I absolutely believe in my soul that I can believe that God will come to me like the spring rains. And the reason I think, you're, you're, you're not going to like this. The, the reason I think this so much, I like this verse because it matches with my favorite verse. If you've ever been in a class, you know i got always got to go back to Gideon. All right? I don't know why, I'm just, i got to go to Gideon. All right? it, just, it just draws me. All right? so, but it is, the, my favorite verse in the Bible is uh, Judges 6.12. It's been my favorite verse for years. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And there's a reason why that verse, I, I don't know why, I just have this intense desire for everyone to know why that verse is so important to me. Because when I wake up in the morning, this is what I think about that verse. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The, when I wake up in the morning, literally, I think of that verse. I can't think of anything that I would rather know then I'm going to battle. I know that. Okay, we all know that. We're all going to battle, right? But that the Lord is with me. I, it, I don't know why that verse just impacts me so much, but it does. And so when I get up in the morning, there's nothing I can't handle. I believe that. Now, listen, that doesn't mean I handle it all right, okay? And sometimes I flip out, like when Cliff calls me on Friday and says, hey, you're teaching Sunday. <laughs> all right? So I'm looking for the Lord, all right? So, uh, all right. But, when I, but there's nothing I can't handle because of that verse. And then I think why I like this verse so much is because it tags so well with it, right? And when I tag Judges 6.12 with Hosea 6.3, I get a double dose of confidence from God. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, and he will come to you like the rain, like the spring rains watering the earth. I know I can face anything because of him. I know I can trust him to be there, and I know I can trust the spring rains of the presence of God. Let me show you what I mean by that. I'm going to share a little bit about my life. If you look at my life, you'll see that I'm just like Israel. Um, there are times in my life when I've done things very well. Okay? Kind of like to focus on those times. All right? There's times I've done it wrong, very wrong. In that, God has shown up in my life just like the spring rains. He shows up time and time and time again, and he has showered those rains on me in many ways. I'm grateful for each and every one of them. Maybe that's why I like the rain so much. I really do. I, lo I sincerely love the rain. Friday night, you know that, that rainstorm, if y'all saw it on radar, was coming in, and then it got to Oklahoma City and it dissipated. That bummed me out because I was ready for the rain. I was ready to open the door and listen to it, right? I get out my hot tub. That's my holy water, okay? I love my hot tub, right? And the rain. Not the lightning, the rain, okay? <laughs> And don't get me wrong, I, I, I've, experienced, uh, I've experienced the storms of life just like everybody else. I mean, some of my own doing, some the doing of others, and some because I just live in a fallen world, all right? But through it all, unmistakably in my life, God has granted me His presence, and He's walked with me. I know this to be true. The, the consistent spring rains of God's presence literally started with me the night I was born. And this is the part of my, my life story I'm going to tell you. It's just short, okay? Um. I, uh, I deleted one thing. Listen, when you listen to the story, don't listen to me. Listen to the presence of God in this story. 
And then after you hear this story, I dare you to tell, to tell me that God is not present in the life of his people. All right? I was adopted, and I have to read this, okay? Um, I, I was adopted literally the night I was born. Uh, literally within a few hours after I was born, I was delivered to my parents, okay, at their home in Houston. Um, it was like a stork delivered me, right? I said a stork, not a dork, okay, so make sure. Right? <laughs> Figured I better clear that up quickly, you people, all right? And the way I've come to understand it, um, I was born in Texas somewhere at some point. Up until this year, I thought I was born in Houston um, on June 20th. And I just found out at age 50 that, that wasn't necessarily the truth. My dad goes, well, that's kind of true, kind of not true. Right? I was like, what? I mean, at age 50, I find out I was not born in Houston. They do not know where I was born, or for that matter, the time I was born. Okay? They don't know because I was born in Mil- and the doctor delivered me to my parents' house. They ha- you're born somewhere north of Houston somewhere. We don't really know. And they delivered it. Listen, I don't know what day I was born or where I was born. I don't think I should pay taxes because of that, but, you know. <laughs> can, can, we, can I get an amen? <laughs> All right. All right, good. All right. All right. So, again, listen to the details of my coming to my family, and then I dare you to tell me that the consistent spring rains of God's presence do not exist. All right? Um, and, again, I have to read this to you because it's pretty, pretty uh, emotional for me. There was a girl somewhere in Texas who was having a baby. For whatever reason, she had the wisdom to know that she couldn't care for a child, so she just happened to make the conscious decision to put me up for adoption. I literally know nothing else about her, but I am truly grateful to her. This pregnant girl just happened to go see a doctor to help her through the entire process of my birth. And this doctor just happened (laughs) to practice in the area that she lived. And the doc, as the doctor cared for the pregnant girl, the doctor-patient relationship developed. And he just happened to learn of her wisdom she had received to put me up for adoption. As the time came for me to deliver, be delivered, um, it just happened to work out that this physician was on call and available to deliver me. And he is the only person who knows when and where I was born. I've never spoken to him. I'm so grateful for the place of life I was given. Um, that I really have no intention of finding out anything else about it. Uh, I'm not angry. I'm not upset. I, I'm just simply grateful. It just happened that my mom and dad couldn't have children on their own. The doctor who delivered me just happened to have been my dad's roommate in college. And he just happened to know that my folks were looking for a child at that time. So the doctor who just happened to deliver me happened to practice in the area where the pregnant girl happened to live at the same time. She happened to need his help, and he just happened to be the roommate of my father. Really? I mean, come on. He was also just happened to be willing to go the extra mile, literally. That minutes after I was born, he drove me to Houston, Texas, to be placed in the care of my parents. Beyond that, it just happened that I was adopted into a Christian family who loved me and supported me and made me their very own from that point on. When I consider that story, I'm faced with a decision. I could consider that these events just came together, right? I could do that. I just can't embrace that. There is nothing anywhere in my soul that says that this just happened. 
could be rather, it seems much more plausible to me that the spring rains of God's presence began its journey in my life that day. And God has just been showering me with his, with his rains since that day. I've had the pleasure of living in the same town for 45 years. I grew up in Edmond. I went to first grade here. I grew up in a great country, in a great state, in an awesome city. I grew up in the same church for 28 years. I have strong friendships, love, and support, including all the people in this church. I've received a great education. My family made sure I was in church every week. My dad was a music minister, so that meant that we were at church 30 minutes before and at least 30 minutes afterwards. You know that, okay? All right. I was part of the same youth group growing up, and I was deeply involved in it. And all of my friends that were in my youth group are my best friends still to this day. The best friend I have in the whole world has been my brother almost for 45 years. I could go on. And this is the reason why I introduced you to my family. is because do you see how those spring rains just kept on going consistently? How, how it developed into this family and how that's going to be a legacy of the spring rains going forth for me when I'm gone from this earth. I could go on and, and please don't hear me bragging at that. There's not an attitude of bragging about that story. Um, that's not at all. Actually, you know what the thing that comes to my mind is the ver- is when Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, this is the thing that comes to my mind when I think of my story. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. Part of my story is that I have a responsibility to the spring rains God has given me. Because if I think about it, I could have ended up anywhere. In any imaginable or unimaginable situation, but I wasn't. I was given a true gift. And I can promise you it is not lost on me. It's my family. We call ourselves the party of five because God rained his presence down on me throughout his whole life. It's unmistakable. I'm going to close quickly. If I was given the opportunity to tell the world one thing and I knew that they would listen, I would use four words. God is with you. I absolutely know that to be true. He's with me, and there is nothing special about me. And I know he's with you, and you. And I could go through this homeroom and name each and every one of you that those four words are so important. God is with you. He knows when you get up and when you sit down. He knows when you go to sleep and when you wake up. He knows when you sneeze, you cough, and you burp. He knows when you're inside or outside. He knows when you're on the highway or the driveway or the sidewalk. He knows when you smile at someone, and he knows when you uh, spit when you talk, like I did just a minute ago. And like it or not, he knows when you're in the traffic, okay? I don't really like it that he knows that one, okay? He knows because of those four words, God is with you. Our challenge in life is not whether he comes to us. Our challenge in life is whether we come to him, because he will come to you like the spring rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your presence. We pray that a lot, Father, but this verse just drives it home to me of how incredibly consistent you are in our lives. And I'm sorry, Father, in my life when I've not recognized the incredible gift and, the, and, the, and just incredible privilege you've given me and all of us in this room of your presence how you're there each and every day of our life. And all we have to do is turn to you. That's what you want. It didn't have to be that way, God. You could have ruled from on high and never paid attention to us as your creation, but that's not you. You're God of love. That consistency of love we know is with you. 
And so we thank you for that today as we leave this room. And I pray that we remember that as we go into our week. I pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ, who makes everything possible. Amen. Have a great week.